0: Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written 36 cookbooks in... Including the latest, the Instant Air Fryer Bible, which is written for instant brands air fryers like the Vortex and the Omni, but you can use it with any air fryer. It's a great step-by-step guide to getting the most out of what is becoming the world's most popular appliance. And I say world's as well, right? Oh, it is. It's, it's big. It's jumping in... in UK and yeah. the continent. in the and...
1: India. They use it a lot in India.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's quickly becoming uh, the world's most used appliance, passing pressure cookers, in fact. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about air frying or air frying much of anything. In fact, if you air fried anything in this podcast, you'd probably be in trouble. But anyway, (laughs) um, we're going to talk about sake. We're going to talk about a one-minute cooking tip about potatoes. Bruce has an interview with Jack Hollihan, who is an entrepreneur who has created a non-alcoholic drink. We seem to be on these lately. And uh, this is one of the non-alcoholic drinks we've tried. And Jack Hollihan started a company that uh, began one. And he's going to interview him and we're going to talk of course about what's making us happy in food this week so let's get started what is sake it's wow, like that's wow. a huge
1: question, right? You, people go into Japanese restaurants, it is. they go into sushi bars it is. and most of us know sake as this warm drink. That was my first introduction yeah, to Yeah, I think
0: I think you're showing your I'm sorry, you're showing my age. I think you're showing <laughs> We're a, the same age. I, I know. I think you're showing our age. I think a lot of people now who are younger than we are don't know it as a warm drink. When we were kids, when I was a kid, and we would go to this Japanese restaurant, Sakura, in Dallas, Texas. Yes. In fact, I was a young kid going to Sakura in Dallas, Texas, and we had to take off our shoes to go inside the restaurant, and they had kimonos to put in, which God knows. Over your clothes or did you take your clothes off, too? No, over your clothes, but God knows how lice-ridden they were. It's anyway, like bowling shoes. Ugh. Disgusting. Ugh. So anyway, but we did. We thought we were so sophisticated. We sat on the Floor, although we Except had none a, of you
1: used chopsticks. Uh,
0: no, we actually didn't use chopsticks, but we did sit on the floor. But they had a hole under the table <laughs> so you could put your legs down, so we didn't have to actually sit on the tatami. Uh, but anyway, we go to this place, and occasionally my dad would get a sake, and it was always warm. Yeah, always. it's always
1: warm. And people talk about it like warm rice wine, and mm. it's not, it's not made like wine at all. It's no. actually a brewed beverage, and I yes. find it really surprising that more people don't know about it, which is why we're talking about it, because sake exports from Japan to the U.S. have doubled, more than doubled last year, under 4 million liters to over 9 million liters. That's a
0: lot of sake. Yeah, and sake has become uh, popular because it sometimes, I know it has a reputation of being a head hammer, but actually sometimes it has a lower alcohol content than wine, particularly now that wine has ramped up from American producers to 16 and 17% alcohol. It sometimes, not always, sometimes has a lower alcohol content than wine. I think people People think of it as a headache hammer or a head hammer because they drink it so quickly and so Mm -hmm. much of it, which you actually shouldn't do. But as Bruce said, it's a brewed beverage. It's it's kind of like beer. It's Mm -hmm. definitely not a wine, although in this country. It's sold as a wine. And I think that has to do with the pa- packaging, right? The bottles. Yeah, well, it always and the, comes in bottles. What and it, it looks, looks like there. on the shelf. I think that's why people think it's a rice wine.
1: Now, I've never seen it corked. I've only ever seen screw tops. Now, it Me doesn't too, mean actually. there aren't some with corks. There might be that I haven't seen, but it's usually screw top. And whereas beer starts with grain, So does sake. But it starts with rice, and it starts with sake Mm. rice, which is a very specific kind of rice. It's not usually eaten. It's plumper and starchier when it's stripped of the bran, which it is. It's always stripped of some of the bran because you want to expose that starchy core to be able to then brew it out and make the alcohol.
0: So I I should tell you that I am still, at my age, a bit of a sake novice. But I do know that the more they mill the rice in Japan, the finer the sake is considered because it's considered more and more elegant as the rice has been refined. And I can tell you that this old Western boy. (laughs) Old Texas boy actually prefers the rice less milled. I know that that is not as elegant as Japanese, but when you don't mill the rice quite as closely as he's done for extremely elegant sakes in Japan, it leaves more flavor to it to me than the clearer, purer, sweeter stuff that is the more refined rice. I know it's really funny. So in other words, you can take me out and I'm a cheap date when it comes to sake. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, there's another thing that really affects the final flavor of the sake and the body it's yes it's how much milled rice versus unmilled rice that they use, but yeah. also whether they add a little bit of extra alcohol to the final product. Junmai a sake, which is actually my favorite, has no added alcohol. It's a lighter... It's you know, highly refined, it's right? It's highly refined. It yeah. has a higher acidic level as compared to other types of sake, so I think it's a little more complex, although it's not heavy. The flavor is not terribly prominent. This is the one often served hot to enhance the taste but I like it, and I there's something about junmai that I really really like.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically what Bruce is saying is that there are three kind of uh, categories of sake that you might find if you want to start at. Now there are many more than this, <laughs> yes. and the, the categories get increasingly complicated, just like wine. But there's junmai, and there's then ginjo, and then Dai Ginjo. And if you're going to start a sake lifestyle, oh my God, what does it involve? <laughs> a lot of kimonos and sitting around your house on the floor. Anyway, if you're going to so start, you have to at- dig a hole under the table. <laughs> Like your family did. We didn't dig the hole. The restaurant had the hole under the table. How
1: much old rice was down in that hole? Oh. That's what I want to know. Oh, did they I vacuum don't know. that hole out every night? I don't know. And the and we, did it get sticky down in there because people spilled their sake? Oh uh, no! But, their, but the uh, eaters
0: did wear kimonos. The women all wear kimonos and wooden shoes, of course. Those wooden flat shoes, oh, right? Man, this is and they would so bend offensive. down at the table. Uh, it was a whole thing. Uh, listen, we thought we were. So sophisticated. Okay, it's 1971 and I'm eating sukiyaki, so give me a break. It is sophisticated and out for Dallas. That is way out there. Anyway, <laughs> Bruce is set on Junmai. Ginjo is made from 40% milled rice and it is very delicate and light bodied. Uh, but I have to tell you, it's not necessarily as refined as Sun Junmai's. And actually, I, I like it better. It, it, has a, it has more of a ricey flavor to it, to me, which I like. Yeah. Again, I'm a cheap date. If
1: you've never had sake, we think going for a ginjo would be a perfect first-time sake for you. And then there's daiginjo. It's much fuller bodied, much fuller flavored, and often it's made with some added alcohol.
0: So that's going to be your full-bodied sake. Listen, honestly, it's like wine. If you don't know anything about wine and you kind of want to experience sake <laughs> like wine, As if you were one, then go in a supermarket, an Asian supermarket that's sold in most Asian supermarkets, and look at the shelf and just pick a couple bottles. It can't hurt you, you can't make a mistake. Don't Kill the bank, but just pick a couple. I don't know bottles in the teens, and see. You know, the, you know, so many dollars. Uh, what would they be? 16 dollars. Long. Sure. There. I mean, a good and, suck
1: is gonna run you maybe even thirty. But yeah, know, but it's it's not, you don't have to break the bank. It's you like, don't have to break. It's the like
0: bank. okay, back in the day. You know, If you listen to this podcast, you know I was raised in a very conservative Christian home, and we did not drink. So uh, back in the day when I first started drinking red wine, I started drinking Ravenswood. Don't make fun of me. It's like, it's like the—what uh, am I saying? It's like uh, Sukiyaki in Dallas in 1971. I started drinking Ravenswood, and it may not be the finest red wine in the history of the world, but it— Opened up to me the possibilities of Zinfandel and Pinot Noir and Cab Franc, and I started to understand it because of and why what Ravenswood. Do. I've made a trip out to California to go to Ravenswood at one point, so I know it sounds funny, but you don't have to start at the ninety dollar bottle of Bordeaux. You no, can you, you can don't. go down.
1: Said the said the man who. Drank a bottle of New York sparkling wine to get over his breakup.
0: Oh, remember that? I told you that on this podcast. When, when, when I was dating before Bruce, oh my God, I would drink Taylor New York State sparkling wine. Yeah, so wine you lose all have, credentials have a bubble right bet. there. I, hey, Sukiyaki, 1971, <laughs> Dallas, leave me alone. So, I, was, I was coming up through the world.
1: One of the things you'll find when you go to look at the bottles of sake that there are two different kinds, filtered and unfiltered. Right. The unfiltered will have a little layer of white on the bottom and that's just sort of rice residue. Mm -hmm. I find the unfiltered is my personal belief that they're a little sweeter, and that's because of all the rice particles in the mix. I wonder if that's
0: really true. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't know that that is across the board true, but it's what I have experienced. That's an anecdotal note that I think the unfiltered is a little and sweeter. It, and it's a matter of personal preference, because you shake it up, and then you're drinking cloudy yeah. beverage, and yeah, you yeah, like yeah. that or not. We,
0: we, in the last episode of this podcast, or several episodes ago, I guess, we talked about bubbling wine and sparkling wine, and we talked about pet gnats, and we've been serving a lot of pet gnats around our house at dinner parties and friends slightly and I have to say that sometimes I pour a pet nat, and people look a little strange at me. And I've watched this happen over the last, oh, two months, let's say. They look at strange at me because pet nats tend to be cloudy yeah. in the glass.
1: Especially the last glass from the bottle because it settles.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's very cloudy. And people, wine drinkers who like white wine, look at it very askance because it's not that pure crystal champagne look, that beautiful white wine look. It's cloudy. So it's funny. You You might actually do better if you want to experience sake to start with filtered sakes because you won't then be fighting your eyes Mm. for what you might think about what something is that's cloudy.
1: Yeah, you'll go in with a biased attitude. Now, there is another category of sake, age sake, called koshu. And it could be aged up to 12 years. It depends on the brewer and who yeah, does it. These it are can really
0: wild. It can
1: even be brown like a whiskey, but not necessarily. It can still be clear because there is no single one way to age sake. So if they age it at higher temperatures, just you know, in, not in a cold. You know, environment, and they use larger vessels, like they age it in big tanks versus bottles, you get more dramatic changes in color, right? You get the heaviness of flavor, right? But there are brewers who age the bottles in cold temperatures, and they get a much more subtle change to it, and it still looks clear, but the, the change is a little more complex, but it doesn't get brown.
0: And I, I would tell you that if you want to discover sake and discover drinking a little sake, Koshu is not the place to start. (laughs) It's too hard.
1: Go for it, Junjo.
0: Yeah, it's too hard. It's too far out there. You have to kind of work toward it as something. And don't forget that sake can be opened and you needn't drink the whole bottle. Now, it is true... That just like wine, it will start to slowly oxidize. Just like beer, it will slowly start to lose. I don't want to say its effervescence, but some of its flavor profile. because yeah, it's not over a carbonated. Time. Usually,
1: no. you can buy bubbling sake yeah but they're, no especially you can buy them in the but u.s but they're just carbonated you know. right
0: but you know you can then put the top back on that bottle and put it back in your fridge will it be as great three or four days later no it won't but it still will be perfectly passable so again i know you look at sake you see these giant bottles you think oh my gosh who's ever going to drink all this well you can portion it out for several
1: nights yep you can
0: Before we get to the next segment of our podcast, let me remind you that we have a newsletter. You can find this newsletter by going to our website, bruceandmark.com, and you'll see on the splash page, the landing page where you hit when you go to bruceandmark.com, M-A-R-K.com. When you go there, you will see a form to get our newsletter. You can sign up there. We won't ever sell your email, and you can always get back off the newsletter at Anytime by clicking a link at the bottom of it. So let me say that if you would like to see what's up in the newsletter, you can certainly do that. Just recently have been all kinds of things. There's been these uh, eggs that I've been making, these hard cooked eggs with a ramen center that I've been soaking in Mm. sake and jalapenos and ginger. Mm. And I know they're delicious. Uh, Lately, we've been doing all kinds of things. I had a thing about uh, Bruce's hand warm, knitted hand warmer gloves Mm. recently. So all of these things come up in the the newsletter. We're talking a little bit about non-alcoholic cordials, as we have on the podcast. There, so if you want to sign up, do so. Okay, up next, our traditional second segment: our one-minute cooking tip.
1: Store potatoes in the dark. Even if you keep them in the fridge, place them in a dark bag that blocks light. Light causes chlorophyll to grow in the skin and just under the skin of the potato and turns it green. The, the green. Bit. That's right. So if you notice, supermarkets, when they close, they throw tarps over the potatoes to keep the light off them because they keep their lights on all night. And you don't want to buy green potatoes. You don't want to eat green potatoes. No. You don't, yeah. It no, no, no. won't kill Even you, the, but you get a stomachache.
0: The Potato board, Even they say to cut the green spots yeah. out of potatoes uh, because, again, too much of that will give you a stomachache. So they advise you to cut potatoes in halves or in quarters and cut out the green parts. Even the U.S. Potato Board, yeah. who is selling potatoes, says that. So store them in the dark for the best results and store them away from onions and bananas which cause potatoes to sprout because they put off ethylene gas right. and the ethylene tr- causes
1: everything to start ripening and sprouting then right. you get really fancy we got a new refrigerator this year and it has actually an ethylene filter
0: in the vegetable oh, drawer well, how fancy. and it absorbs ethylene to keep that from happening Before we get to Bruce's interview in this podcast, let me say it would be great if you could rate it, if you subscribe to it, that would be spectacular. It would be a fabulous thing if you could drop a rating on any of the platforms you're on, whether in the U.S. or any other country across the world, particularly on Google or on Apple Podcasts. I know you can only rate it with stars on Spotify, but if you could do that. Sometime that would be spectacular for us because again, we're doing this for the love of doing it and doing it with you and our unsupported. So it would be great to have some of your support behind us. Up next, Bruce's interview with Jack Holahan, an entrepreneur, I don't know, an entrepreneur of entrepreneurial passions. Anyway, Jack is up with his latest adventure, Jukes cordialities. Today
1: I'm speaking with Jack Holahan whose company produces Jukes Cordialities, which is an amazingly delicious, alcohol-free wine alternative. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. So I want to start by asking, what is the difference between a non-alcoholic wine and a wine alternative?
2: Uh, A non-alcoholic wine is, is a wine that has had its alcohol removed after it's been built. A wine alternative is generally non-grape based, which wine is, but it's fulfilling the function that wine fulfills either, you know, at the bar or in meals. In other words, it's generally designed to be paired with food or to be a a social occasion type drink.
1: What's the story behind Jukes? Why did you want to create a wine alternative to begin with? Uh, Matthew
2: Jukes, who is a very, very well-noted English wine expert is an old friend of mine as as you know Bruce we lived over in London for 20 years mm-hmm. and in 2019 Matthew and I were having lunch together at some posh restaurant we both didn't want to drink and we were both complaining to each other about how the fact that there was you know what's your choice sparkling water meh. doesn't do much for the food fruit-based juices meh, a lot of calories a lot of sweetness what's the point So one thing led to another, and uh, we decided to figure out whether we could work up an alternative. And Matthew went backwards on it. In other words, even back then, there were a few dealkalized wines. Mm -hmm. And the issues with them is if you take out the alcohol, you lose the ladder that pulls the flavor back and over your palate. And gives you the length and the mouth feel mm-hmm. so what you end up with something that's sort of flat and sour and so rather than doing that he actually went back to 18th century recipes using apple cider vinegar with fruit and veg etc macerated in them and used that to construct the wine alternative in the form of an apple cider vinegar base we actually use a organic apple cider vinegar from the foothills of the Alps in uh, Italy and then macerating in it typically around 20 different fruits veg herbs flowers spices etc so as to construct the same flavors that you think you recognize when you drink like a serre or a Pinot Noir or or whatever. It's a completely different novel construct, actually.
1: So uh, let's talk about that a second. I mean, some wine alternatives start with tea as a base or kombucha, but all three of your varietals start with the same apple cider vinegar. How does that translate from one product from the vinegar into three, beautifully distinct beverages
2: it's the mix of the fruit and veg and herbs and spices and flowers that are designed in effect to be a form of a white or a form of a red or a form of a rosé now Matthew is a guy who's written 15 books about wines people pay him a lot of money for his recommendations etc he is a real expert so he's working off of a 30-year palette of probably 25,000, 30,000 tastings over the years. And what he's doing is, or what he's done is, he's selecting out the flavor nuances in timing and in proportion. In other words, if he, as if he were constructing a perfect wine and then putting them in the apple cider vinegar to macerate together and then seeing what the effect is. We went through 250 odd trials just for the red alone to get that exact perfect profile.
1: The perfect profile, not only in flavor, when you pour the red, it is amazing. The look, the body, I mean, it just has the the appearance of a red wine in ways that I've never seen done before in, in wine alternatives, which is really nice if you're having a drink somewhere where you don't want to drink, but you don't want people to know you're not drinking for whatever reason. And it yeah. just looks like you're drinking a red wine.
2: That is correct. The other thing too, is we're using the apple cider vinegar for dryness because what you often get with wine alternatives, or for that matter with de wines is you have to do something to get the flavor profile over so if you don't have alcohol to bring the flavor profile over you have to do something to attract the palate
1: until you end up using sugar well let's talk about that nutritionally how do jukes compare to wine when it comes to calories and carbs a glass of wine
2: will be about 125 calories Mm -hmm. Uh, a glass of jukes will be depending upon which one it is Mm-hmm. uh will be somewhere between 12 and 18 calories so we're like we're basically choice a half a stalk of celery choice b a
1: juice i like that you've packaged juice in these little bottles and you mix them on your own combining the contents of the bottle with sparkling or still water you even suggest tonic what's great about these bottles is that you could bring them with you to a party or even a restaurant was that opportunity something you considered when you designed these small bottles, or was that just sort of happened? It was
2: absolutely purposeful for for two reasons. One was, especially with the new brand, you know, you were not in all the places you want to be instantaneously. So you wanted to give people the ability to bring it along with them, mm-hmm. and then order, you know, their tonic water or their or their sparkling water or whatever, and mix it in. And the second thing is that. It allows people the flexibility to do exactly what they want with their drink. Some people prefer a six-to-one ratio. Some people prefer a ten-to-one. Some people prefer a more frizzante soda. Some people like Pellegrino as opposed to, you know, something else. So it allows people to play. Now, that having been said, both from the trade side coming out of COVID, meaning restaurants, bars, etc., and also... From a consumer point of view, a lot of people asked us to create a ready-to-drink product. So we, in effect, created in little 250 ml cans, a pre version, which you basically just throw into the refrigerator and pull it out and let it rip.
1: But if the concentration the can is not to your liking, it's perfectly okay to dilute it a little more. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, is the flexibility of little bottles are so what's so amazing. So we started this whole thing talking about how important it was for you and Matthew to come up with something that paired well with food, because wine has such. And a great relationship with food. So how does Jukes fare when it comes to food pairings?
2: We're in 18 Michelin-starred restaurants, including a number of three stars.
1: And people are drinking these there not as a cocktail before dinner, but throughout dinner.
2: Yeah, with a meal. So that probably says that from a chef solemn point of view, they're not going to let anything in their restaurant which could impair or impeach their position. For many of them, Jukes is their only non-alcoholic alternative on their list. They have the issue where in in the UK, for example, it's upwards of 25% of customers in restaurants aren't drinking anything alcoholic. And they're basically asking their, their restaurants what do I do? What can I have? Or is it back to the you know the dreaded sparkling water with bit a, of a lime in it? Jukes has been the response for for many of them. This was designed to to pair with, in effect, a European, stroke American, Western stack of foods, but what it actually goes terrific with, which wines don't do, is Asian cuisine, particularly hot and barbecue. I'm not much of a beer drinker, which is the normal. You know, recourse. I've just never been that partial to it, right? But this this is like my go-to. I'm I'm very yeah. happy. I'm at it.
1: So, Jack, are there plans to expand the brand into more varietals or flavor options in the UK, which is where we
2: began? Uh, now we're all throughout the world, but in the UK, we do actually two whites, two different types of whites, mm-hmm. two different types of red. One is sort of fall smoky or Pinot Noir orientated, mm-hmm. uh, the, the second being the the classic red and the rosé. We'll bring those other two out into the rest of the world over time. We also do a sparkling Pinot Noir, which is the same construction technology, except there what we're doing is we're taking grapes, taking out the stems, taking out the seeds, etc., And we're using that remainder to macerate with apple cider vinegar mm. and making a sparkling Pinot Noir. Wow. Which is, yeah, which is really
1: lovely. Give right? you even closer to that, you know, grape wine essence.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's a more single note, but it is it is gorgeous. And we're only doing it in the UK right now simply because we did limited amount of, of getting a hold of the grapes last fall but i think i think we'll widen that out but it's matthew right matthew has got i know matthew's got a cuvee in mind um so so stay stay tuned on that too
1: that would be amazing i love the fact that there is something to have with dinner with food not just as a cocktail before As an alternative to wine, Jukes really captures the essence of all of that. Hey, thanks for this amazing product, and thank you for spending some time,
0: Jack Callahan, talking about Jukes cordialities today. Thank you. I have to say that we've been drinking quite a bit of Jukes lately, and we actually drank it and got to. Uh, that's why you thought about having Jack on the podcast. Yeah.
1: yeah, we first tasted it actually at Jack's house. We were there when he was just in the production development part of this, and uh, his wife loves them, and so we tried them. And now they're out and they're selling, and yeah, I think they're really fabulous. I think
0: it's kind of crazy because you can slip a little bottle in your bag or in your purse, mm-hmm. and you can just make your own drink at a party. As as long as they have sparkling water. I mean, I guess you could do it with still. I've never done it. Yeah, I didn't think it was still. uh, Sparkling water. And, you know, you don't have to make a big deal about not drinking. There it is. So it's a nice idea and a nice, beautifully delicious drink for a summer or maybe even a winter night. Our last segment of the podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, is traditionally what's making us happy in food this week. So I'm gonna start and I'm gonna say what's making me happy in food this week is duck eggs. Mm. I love duck eggs and I have we have a local source that we can get duck eggs out here in New England. And I love them because here's why, and I'm gonna tell you why I love duck eggs so much. In fact, I've had them for dinner twice in the last two weeks. For dinner, not for breakfast. I've had a fried duck egg, and here's why: because I don't, I, I, I like my yolks super runny, and so I can crack a duck egg into a skillet and let it go and go and go and go and go, and go until the whites are set, but the the yolk will. <laughs> It's too big. The yolk will never be set, but the bottom of the white is super crunchy by that point, and it's. Del- I love duck eggs so much. Fried duck eggs are just. They're, they're like a passion.
1: They're very rich. The yolks are. are really thick, even when they're not they cooked. They're, they're so delicious. good. I love them. What's making me happy are packaged, ready-to-eat, cooked, peeled chestnuts because <laughs> I love chestnuts. It's an
0: obscure thing. I guess duck eggs is pretty obscure, too. <laughs> I mean,
1: I love to eat them, but I love to cook with them. I throw them into everything. I put them into salads. Um, last night, I made a Chinese pork belly dish uh, with a preserved mustard greens, and it would never have... Uh, chestnuts in it in a traditional Chinese rice. But I threw them in because I wanted to add that little bit of sweetness to balance against the sourness of the cabbage. You could put them in everything, and I love them.
0: Yeah, they, they, it was really good last night in the pork belly and the preserved greens. It They tasted good. I was surprised to see them. But you do. We go to Asian markets, and they sell packaged, uh, peeled, ready-to-eat chestnuts, sometimes right at the register. And yeah. I they'll <laughs> always buy six or seven packages and bring them home just so that they're always in the pa- in the pantry. It's nice to just add those packaged chestnuts to the rice cooker when rice is cooking. Mm, I mean, it is. They just add a lot of flavor to beef stews, pork stews, chicken stews, all that kind of stuff. Now, you can find jars, you
1: know, like French jars of roasted chestnuts expensive. in the soup room, but they're very expensive. expensive. You'll spend like $16 to $20 for a large jar. These right. packets are like $2 or $3. Right. And these are from, usually they're from Taiwan or China. They're smaller. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the chestnuts themselves tend to be a little smaller than the ones you get in the jar, but I actually find that's good, and then I don't even need to
0: chop them up as much. Yeah, they're really delicious. Okay, that's our podcast. So we have talked all about sake, we've talked about jukes, cordialities, we've talked to Jack Hallahan. we've talked about potatoes and how to store them, and we've talked about duck eggs and Just chestnuts. Nice. What more could you want in a podcast? Thanks for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being a part of it with us. We appreciate your walking with us down this road we can't thank you enough connect with us on facebook under the group cooking with bruce and mark or on instagram under our own names
1: and download another episode next week and the week after and the week after that and you won't miss a single episode of cooking with bruce and mark